Hey, it's Lisa Wimberger here. I'm the founder of Neurosculpting and I have helped thousands of people learn really powerful tools to regulate their minds and their bodies, including pro athletes, entrepreneurs, and those with serious stress-based illnesses. So I'm really excited to help you do the very same thing through education and some incredible guest experts. And together, we're going to discover the formula to unlock hope. So welcome. Hey there, I am thrilled today to be speaking to Chloe McIntosh, and I want to read a little bit of her bio for you so you get uh, a picture. Um, although the picture won't become clear until we start talking, I am quite sure of that. So Chloe is the founder and CEO of Kama, which is a science-based sexual wellness app. I am honored and privileged to be a consultant on this app with Chloe. Um, she invited me in to produce some content for it, and I have to say I love it. And this is going to be a big point of conversation we're going to have, Chloe. So I have a lot of questions for you. Um, but before starting Kama, Chloe was the CCO for the Soho House Group, and she is the co-founder and of the direct-to-consumer houseware retailer Made.com. Also an architect by education and trade, and she worked um, with the Norman Foster practice in London and um, and actually the made.com IPO last year, I think, opened at $1 billion. Anyway, Chloe is a powerhouse, a very, very diverse powerhouse. So Chloe, so excited to have you here. Thanks, Lisa. So nice to see you. I'm so happy that we're connecting. It's so nice. Yes. So I, I want to tell you something that happened during our work together on Kama. So, so to set the stage, you know, Chloe had reached out to me a couple of years ago, um, introducing the Kama app to me and asking me to create some neurosculpting meditations and some content to help individuals get past their trauma patterns with, uh, with their relationship to sexual well-being. Um, and I said, sure, of course, because I do this in my private practice. But holy moly, Chloe, I never shared this with you. I had so many of my own stories come up in having to create the content and the meditations for the very things you were asking me to create that I ended up going on my own exploration with what is my relationship to sexual well-being i didn't think that i did i was not prepared for that um and it was amazing and i thought if i think i have it all together and i'm now hitting these stories wow what are the, the people coming to your app who already feel like they don't have it all together what are they experiencing so i'm curious if you could just share a little bit about you must have had your own story that moved you out of architecture and um and retail and into this cutting edge place uh of sexual well-being what can you share what was going on for you that led to this huge leap yeah i mean you know it's interesting first i would love to know a bit more after i answer about you know what was your personal journey through this because i i think when we start tapping into the wisdom of the body, 
the information that sits with us inside you know the fascia system is inside the nervous system even inside the organs when we start tapping into more precise practices then of course then things starts coming up um for me you know when i started this the interest in this topic i literally had no idea about anything i thought i knew and i didn't know anything as much as you did i knew just that the body you know is an opportunity that pleasure is infinite that we can have all sorts of orgasm that intimacy is very important for our well-being i had an idea around those concepts but i had never truly questioned it mm -hmm. what struck me and still is a bit of a moment of like why didn't I ask more questions, you know? So the, the initial reason that I got interested into this field was simply because I was a, a French, uh, kind of recently married, now suddenly pregnant in the UK, where the culture is quite different when it comes to just letting things out that are a little bit more intimate and personal not as a way to overshare but i think my my feeling about the french culture is that there is a lot less blockages around sharing things that are intimate um, I think that we are a little bit less uh, blocked when it comes to the connection to the body, not a huge amount, because I think, you know, until we go into Eastern cultures or African cultures, Latin American culture, the body is a very big part of the overall experience for us, you know, in the West, often that's been cut, cut off over time. And also because as a young woman, you know, wanting to build a career, wanted to be financially independent, wanted to drive my life towards, you know, achieving things. I had a very cerebral experience of the world and my life. I lived in my head and my head provided with a great level of entertainment. So I was very happy to be there for a lot of the time. And when I got pregnant with my first son, I suddenly felt, whoa, what's happening in my body? I could not anymore kind of ignore that so much of what I was experiencing was bodily experiences mm -hmm. and bodily feelings, sensations. And it really kind of puzzled me what is happening and asking questions and went around to people and say, I'm first, I was also feeling super turned on. So I was in this also state where my sexuality seemed to be taking a slightly different turn. And I associated this to be expecting boys and I thought maybe there's just more testosterone in my body I don't actually know but I definitely felt that from the shape my body took which was much more voluptuous much more an image of femininity and the growth of that you know kind of life inside of me really shifted my attention and it's at this point that I ask question and it's at this point mm. that I realize that no one could give me a single name of a platform or a brand or publication that was dedicated to education around sex and intimacy. And I remember thinking, no, 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 no. Let me ask again. So I kept asking and I asked in the UK, then I asked in the US, then I asked in so many different people that lived around the world. And I never came across a clear destination that was just taking this topic as, as their main interest as a way to educate I would say the mass, you know, really the masses addressing this topic at a, a big scale level, not little experimental project that targeting smaller group of people who are already 
invited to look into things like sacred sexuality or the movement around, you know, femininity. Or, there were things happening, but it was very, um, it was not really a kind of high adoption model. The type of communication, language, and belief centers actually would put people off getting involved in this rather than feeling invited. And so I just thought, my business mind thought there is a big gap between porn, which we have a lot of, mm -hmm. and a medical website that tells you about how to not get sick from having sex kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And then in the middle, there is you, me, and a lot of people who wanted good information, wanted to learn about their body, wanted tools, modalities, practices, things that help you transform, like you would do when you do a diet, when you do fitness, when you do a coursework, you kind of go through this system process and practice, which then delivered, you know, your objectives. So it felt like a gap. And then I looked into it from a business standpoint, and I realized it's too early. Mm. There was no awareness for sexual well-being. Mindfulness had just really made its first proper crack at getting into a mass audience. Mm -hmm. And it just fell too early. This was in 2005. Oh, yeah. Early. Right? It's a long time well, ago. I, I just find it fascinating because I think if people come to Kama and, and also the Instagram page, they may not know, they may lump this into this is about how do you you know, go out and procure sex with somebody else. That's not what this is about. And the origin of this, how amazingly interesting to me is that it came not from you being out there trying to date or trying to be intimate with people, but you being pregnant and not recognizing what your body was doing. And, and so the origin of this fascination came from a very deep, transformative self-exploration space for you, which is a whole different energy for me than I want to go out and have sex with somebody, right? It, it's just a very different place of origin, which I think um, it's just fascinating that that's underlying it. And, and ladies, here's what nobody tells you. Second trimester pregnancy is like what I imagine a 15-year-old boy feels like when he can't control his hormones. I mean, second, second trimester pregnancy was probably the highest level of physical arousal I, I've ever felt in my life. I mean, we've got so many hormones. And I didn't know that going in. Sounds like you, you know, your body woke up too. Nobody tells you that you'll have fantasies about the plant or the wall or the couch. And it's like everything is a viable place for you to have your full body sensations. And yeah, nobody told me that when I was pregnant. I didn't I thought, know somebody else that had that actually. It's brilliant to hear this from you because I do mention it a lot. And then obviously some people don't have always the most sensual experience of pregnancy because it comes with a whole bunch of other things. But I think the there is a period where you're not sick and you're not too heavy. And right. suddenly in that time, and you know, it's exactly what you were saying. I mostly wanted to have sex with myself. Yeah. I, I just looked at my body that was, I'm quite like a stick a little bit, you know, I don't have big boobs, big hips. And then I got pregnant and I had this voluptuous shapely body that was 
like the first true expression of my femininity I had ever seen. I've never seen it before. Mm -hmm. You know, it connected me with this deep part of myself that is, you know, that feminine sense that previously, I think in my life, I was driving more from the masculine because I was in charge of my household very young. I wanted to be very independent. So I, I was very focused in that way. And I think pregnancy is a is a brilliant, probably a reason, you know, for us to reconnect with that femininity before we become obviously the carrier of that towards our youngsters and making sure that we express that to them. So it was a beautiful transformation, like you said, that came from the inside completely. Yeah. And so this is 2005. This is before this is really acceptable. So what did you do between then and between when you actually went out to the world with this? So first I thought I like, okay, okay, there is an opportunity. What are we going to do about it? Because I had, I, I was, while I wasn't doing it because I, I was well aware the timing wasn't, wasn't right. I still kept thinking of the amazing, I mean, the multiple ideas that I had throughout this past 10 years before I started. And some of those involved doing brilliant educational porn, actually going where the customers at and 30% of the world's traffic goes to porn. So 30%. Thought, right. It's a lot of, it's a lot of traffic. It's more than, you know, Facebook traffic in its height. So it's a very wow. polarized, obviously, uh, traffic. And there isn't a lot of ways to experience porn in a way that feels good. I think some of us, me, you know, I've learned to go and find the things that I like, and I don't actually think porn is necessarily a, a negative uh, tool. It's always how it's used. It's always how it's used. You know, mm -hmm. if it's used as well as other things and it's something that makes you feel good, and that's really the the, the, the signal is, do you feel good when you do it or do you feel shameful mm -hmm. and like, you shouldn't be doing this and you're doing something bad for your health. You know, mm -hmm. that's really the, the mental kind of radar that one needs to have with, with this kind of thing. And after thinking about this, I went back and, and do a bunch of stuff. I joined the Soho House. I became the she creative director. I also, you know, the other thing that I had learned through creating med.com in 2010 as a first time founder was how hard it is mm -hmm. to leave you know, to, 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 when you take the responsibility to become a founder, it's like there is something that needs to shift in the way that you present yourself. You now at service and sometimes there is confusion that you're serving yourself, but actually you're not because now you are managing people mm -hmm. and so you're really at service to them. And so I wanted to go back and work for a corporation, a bigger company before starting this startup, just to remind myself of what it's like to be managed, what it's like to work laterally with people, because otherwise you very quickly lose touch with the humanity that is required in order to lead people properly. Even when, you know, you're on a deadline, you don't have any more cash, you're working really, really hard. You still have to, uh, hold people. So I thought, while I'm not sure what, when to, to, to start, I, I kind of continue to train myself. And then when I left MADE in 2015, I had a, I mean, a, a kind of burnout situation that took me to a, a wonderful holistic clinic in Alicante, Spain called Shah. Mm. And when I went to Shah, they basically really help you understand how, how you interact with the environment, 
just defines how your experience and how your body then, you know, has to, um, manifest, you know, how much energy you're going to spend, how much mood change you're going to have, you know, mm -hmm. all the things that affect your experience of life is actually related to what you put in your mouth and what's around you. And during that time, I met a, an amazing meditation uh, practitioner who taught me uh, what I called a thoughtless mindfulness, which is this idea which has been with me since. And I think one of the reasons what I feel that I have really had a lot of access of you know understanding for the space is that early on my first practice i understood that the point of meditation is not to meditate mm. you know? and the point of meditation is to be able to be in a meditative state as often as you can during your day mm -hmm. so we did drop in mindfulness so how to mind how to be mindful when you are cooking how are you mindful when you go up the stairs how are you mindful when you talk to people mm -hmm. are you mindful at every moment by simply bringing your environment into your sphere. So if I'm talking to you, I'm going to be aware of the temperature. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be aware of how I'm sitting. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be aware of smell. I'm also playing with my hands a bit mm -hmm. to keep myself in contact with my sensations mm. because our senses is how we make sense of reality. Like we, we connect with reality through our senses. So when we converse, the risk is that we get a bit stuck in our head and for me, this practice was really one that allowed me to make progress in my mindfulness development in a way that was extremely easy, that was very low effort, very effective. Most importantly, it was embodied. Present mm. meditation you do in your head by sitting and trying not to think, because that's a very difficult and it's again, a, a, it's a head experience. It's a head experience. This is this is step four of the neurosculpting process is the part of the meditation where we guide people to make a hand gesture or place their hand on their body. It's for this exact reason. I'm so glad you said it is to bring the soma into the experience. Otherwise, we run the risk of getting too cerebral and um, disembodied. And then it's really easy to make decisions based on habituation and not on the present moment experience. And so you were just doing it anyway in real time. I, I love that. Um, actually, as you said that, I started um, feeling my hands. Mm -hmm. And I have these bracelets. I have things that I wear purposely mm -hmm. because the textures are really, really nice. So it's like, um, it's like putting lots of mini, mini mindfulness opportunities everywhere mm -hmm. all the time around you you know I always have flowers in the house so I can smell every time I'm passing by the flower I'm it's all these small things which when I started my practice into this I was told the most important is to resensitize your senses and be sensual and I was like mm. oh. yeah smell the flowers and I was like what that doesn't sound right I mean that's not going to have any effect I know but smelling flowers and you know it took me two years into training to go back to this first idea that actually it, it is really important to resensitize because we live in a world where we are constantly doing the opposite. We use lots of tools, the smells aren't great, you know, we eat fast. So we never really get to connect truly with that aspect. And during COVID, I, one of my uh, big focus was to resensitize my, sense, my, my senses. So I did a huge amount of 
resensitization practice. I resensitize my palate completely. Uh, Did you I, do that through, um, you know, savoring food in a different way or? Yeah, I had a, I had a funny little uh, entertainment piece that I had kind of designed, which was to go to my local organic store, buy a lot of food I had never tried before, randomly, a fruit I've never tried. And then I would put them out, cook them in some ways, and then I would blindfold myself. This is me on my own during COVID. And then I would <laughs> this is med amazing. <laughs> meditate each piece and really think, okay, it's coming to my, uh, my smelling, breaking down the process, to be honest, slowing down the process. It's because when we slow down the process, we give a chance for the information to communicate back to us. When we go too fast, I mean, you know, it just doesn't have time to come back to us. So it was really, it's super simple. It's just, but it's also how amazing because it is time dependent. So we, oh, there's just so many tangents. Well, first of all, you said you needed to um, make sense of reality and embedded in that statement, make sense of, is this not an implication, but a direct statement that we have to use the senses, right? Mm -hmm. In order to find any meaning to make sense of, we have to use sense and that is our senses. So the fact that we miss this as an integral part of, of how to be a whole person in the world is, is very interesting to me because it is actually explicit in the statement, make sense of that. And we think that means just with our logic mind. And that's not even a sense. That's a, a meaning making aspect of what the senses bring in. So. I think that's that's amazing, but also this idea that um, in order to use your senses to make sense of the world, you need the time to dive into inquiry around what your senses are sensing. So sensuality is a time dependent thing. Like you can't just gulp a meal and not chew it and have a, a very sensual experience, you have to take the time. And so this idea of using time differently and how interesting that COVID gave you that time and you used it, you used it with like a real amazing purpose. So, so what did you discover in the re-sensitizing of, of your senses? Well, I think that there is just so much do you hear the bell? Sorry. It's fine. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Um, that generally there is so much pleasure and satisfaction and presence that can come to you naturally without a lot of effort mm. when you are sensitized. And sensitized is, as, as, as you know also, but maybe for the people who are listening, resensitization is a two-step process is first removing the armor so very often we lose sensitivity either by bad habits because we're not using the sense but sometimes in our tissue and it's the case in our genital you know through any negative experience we can have there is also an element where the fascia will contract the connective tissue will contract and put some information there that's either pain i don't come back here because it was painful and that other time can turn into numbness and other time that can turn into boredom 
So for example, if you don't eat really great food, eating is not really interesting because you're eating fast. You're not thinking about what you're eating while you're eating. You are eating more to compensate for something that you don't have. So you're not really present. And therefore, I don't think it's possible to appreciate, you know, the quality, but also the effect that comes with being present with that sense. So it's resensitization, meaning going back to the sense and taking the time to tell the mouse or the area where you have pain in your genitals, there is a new way now mm. to experience this tissue. And by being present with it and in contact with it and putting positive intention and doing this over time, we can actually repattern the cellular information that sits with the tissue and, and free the body of its tension, of its trauma, of the blockages, but like you say, resensitization is a long process because it's cell by cell. Mm -hmm. Each each area needs to get new information. Information go in when, you know, our brain, as we know, is lazy, which is a good thing. It's trying to spend as little energy as possible. And so when we do new things, our brain has a tendency to self-sabotage by saying it's not working. I'm mm -hmm. not feeling anything because it's, it's too energy consumptive right now. Exactly. The new, the novelty requires effort. Mm -hmm. But if we do this over time and use our own intention to reinforce and also the non-judgment, so non-judging the experience, it's not about whether it's working. It's actually, what, it's just the doing that works. It's not mm. the working that does. It's just the doing that eventually works. And so it's what you do. You know, you build new pathways. We build new pathways every day at all times. What we can bring to our awareness now is that we can choose to be intentional with our pathways and we can choose to bring our intention and say, okay, well, in the pathway of eating slowly, I'm going to really try to now first wait in front of my plate. Because when you wait in front of your plate, which is what grace is for, there's a whole uh, system, internal system that's coming to make your body aware that food is coming, certain enzymes starts happening, your salivary gland activate. Mm -hmm. That's why we do grace. Mm -hmm. so tell the system what's coming. It's all these rituals, they have a function. They're not just a spiritual idea. They all have a function that works with the body usually and ritualize our life so that we actually take time to tell ourselves consciously, this is coming, be prepared. And then the process of going uh, meditatively, uh, you know, through a sensorial experience is really, as I say, for me, the easiest mindfulness practice I can recommend because it is quite fun and it is easy and you can do it everywhere all the time. You know, um, I'm. You made me think of those dinners. I don't know if you have them in in London, but they're dinners with the blind, where you get blindfolded and you have that experience. Um, so my husband and I did this little uh, experiment where uh, during COVID we would walk around the park every day, and we decided, well, what if one of us walked around with our eyes closed and let the other lead us, right? And so my first thought was, you know, this is gonna be a little scary because of where I'm walking and the trust aspect. And then once that settled out and I sunk in, the sense of hearing amplified and the, the level of intimacy that surprised me um, was, was amazing i was walking and i could there was a jogger coming up behind me but 
with your eyes closed, you actually have a different perception of how far people are from you. I knew he was behind me, but suddenly his footsteps felt like they were upon me. Mm. Now with my eyes open, I would have known they weren't, but with my eyes closed, the sound said, the footsteps are here, they're upon you. And then I could hear, this This was, This was. kind of gave me shivers. I could hear <sighs> in my ear in this way that you're just used to hearing that from your lover or your partner. Um, it was so <laughs> intimate. And my perception was that his face was right there. And I, I had to open my eyes. Mm. He wasn't right there, but how even just taking one sense away and focusing on the other distorts time and space mm. and our perception of who's in our space and how they're in there. And I thought, I, I didn't give permission for his breath to be in my ear. So mm. at first I was a little alarmed. And then, and then I thought, did I do something wrong? that I had just had this intimate moment with a total stranger. He doesn't know about it. And I had to immediately tell my husband, like, this just freaked me out. He was in me. Mm. And, um, and I hadn't really explored my ears quite in that way before. But I, I imagine doing this blindfolded food experiment is this whole other focus that the palate gets to have that we're depriving it of having when we're all the other senses are sort of vying for our attention for sure and you know the other thing i love about the blindfolded uh, park walk so i do that a lot mm -hmm. with someone because it's a great practice of surrendering mm -hmm. It's anything where you need to let someone else take control uh, of a physical experience is an amazing practice of surrendering. And it's also therefore connected to being better at receiving because what's in the way of you receiving, which is the key to pleasure is the ability to receive. And we are so good at giving and wanting to be in the action and wanting to serve the other and please the other because it's so much easier than just being able to receive. When Why we get do you think that is? Why is it easier? Because we're not really given permission, you know, like in our society, pleasure is frivolous, uh, indulging is something that you're not, mm. it's this kind of weird societal norm around no pain, no gain. If you oh, don't I hate that expression. So, I mean, I live by that motto the first part of my life right. and, and I had a burnout and realized, yes, you grow with adversity, but that's not a way of life. And it's not the only way to grow. And that's not the only way to grow. And so now I'm, I say I'm in the pleasure business. Mm. I mean, anything that is connected to pleasure, I look at how it can help us live better. You know, so it's physical pleasure. Uh, it's also emotional pleasure, relational pleasure. Um, also cerebral pleasure, you know, there is uh, for a lot of us, this sort of vocational arousal, which is us being very turned on with um, ideas and, and mm -hmm. things that, that drive us. So 
we need to just combine all of the arousal systems that are available to us and then tune in to understand what are the things that turn me on, what are the things that make me feel more alive. You know, I think we're the only species in, 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 on Earth that can stop their own aliveness we actually shut down our own life force. We've, we, we, that's actually, amazing to think about. I never thought about that before. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so we don't even remember what it is like to have that life force firing in the belly as a aliveness, as a source of energy, as a source of crazy, nothing to do with acting sexual. Do you feel like, uh, so because the app tends to take the idea of sexual well-being, are you finding, because when I talk to you, it's, it's holistic, it's so much more. Do you find that the people using the app are coming back and saying this wasn't just about sexual well-being, this was about all these other things? So the little story goes like this. I went to discover mindfulness and in my journey, I realized oh my God, mindfulness is the way into the body. You know, it's not the way into the head. Mm. <laughs> so I, I, I thought, great, this is, this is sexual well-being. You know, it's when we become present and mindful in our bodies and we sensitize and do all the things that are required in order to be present. And so I launched first version of Kama, which was very focused on sexual well-being. Remember, it was very, you know, neuroplastic. We were talking about building pathways. Mm -hmm. We were talking about, you know, a lot of ancient wisdom and we were combining neuroscience. It was, it was advanced in a sense. And we launched this. And after not very long, we realized no one has a clue mm -hmm. what sexual wellness is. Mm -hmm. If you go outside in the street and you say, can you describe sexual well-being? What is it for you? Honestly, I don't think anyone will be able to tell you. Mm -hmm. So what we realized um, is that we thought we were taking people from zero to one. You know, let's amplify sexuality. Let's go deeper. The problem is people were at minus one with mm. no basic education. So we went back and did the sex ed. Now, how to give a blowjob, how to put a condom, how to breathe, how to activate the pelvic floor, how to finger someone, how to penetrate someone. Because that's where people's mind is where they can start the journey of asking yeah yeah to meet them where they were at and they were at understanding that that equals sex and that is what they think sexual well-being is better technique and better sex mm. right so there's no criticism upon where the the, the the i would say collective consciousness sits with this topic there's not a fight for me it's just understanding where people are at and serving them the reverse model which is I tell you how to give a blowjob, but in the course we provide on the app, when we ask the question to all the people that have a penis, what's the most important factor of a good blowjob, unanimously they said, the person giving it has to be enjoying themselves. Mm. So we built a blowjob course for the people giving it, for the people giving it, having a good time. How do you enjoy a blowjob? How can a blowjob provide with an opportunity for deeper intimacy? How can a blowjob provide with an opportunity to discover more about your partner's pleasure? How can a blowjob give you more freedom and empower you to know how the confidence of giving this pleasure to your partner? And how do you then keep your own body active through breathing and pelvic floor activation so that the pleasure that they feel also is something that can circle back into your own body. Mm -hmm. You have actually, 
you know, often with oral sex, it feels like a relatively disconnected experience. And it is what actually people find most challenging because they get stuck in their head thinking, mm. am I taking too long? You know, and the person giving it is thinking, do they like this? Am, am I, I doing it right? Am I doing yeah. it right? They, you know, so it's really putting the the real science and the real like good stuff that people will grow from within the the, the course but not as a way to position the course because that's just not where people are so it is the it's the takeaway experience but the course is positioned to meet people where they're at which is this is my understanding of sexuality and sex and i want to get more refined at it um, and be more comfortable with it so um so is this where you think the next iteration of comma is going so now we after two year and a half of really like building this free platform everything we've done has been free we've built i don't know hundreds of practices and the beauty as well behind the practice is that they sit within a psychosomatic system mm-hmm. that involve you know elements of the body such as breath movement and touch and element of our emotional, you know, psychological centers, which is desire and the heart center. And so the practice we create are by nature neuroplastic because they combine, you know, a thought with an image, with a color, with a touch, with a muscle practice, and then it cycles through. So the heart genital meditation, which is a very key psychosexual practice that helps you have better connection between your sexuality and your uh, emotions, so your emotional center and your sexuality often can be quite disconnected. Mm-hmm. That pathway, you know, that you built is eventually going to basically deliver that experience through a practice. So it's trying to really, the first phase of the project was giving people an answer to their question and then trying to show them how a daily practice of sexual wellness could look like in their everyday life and how mm-hmm. to make this very easy. Uh, for people to start feeling, okay, I'm doing something for my sexual well-being. I know Kama is showing me that those things are the right things for me to try on. And people started adopting those different practices. And now we're at a stage where people want to go deeper. They want to have courses and programs that take them through. You know, we have a lot of people, I would say, number one, a common a uh, problem and question that come to us is uh, getting stuck in our heads, men and women. We've got 40% men, 60% women on the app, right? And um, they get stuck in their head. And if we look at the female issues, mostly focused on trauma and pain, and otherwise the blockages will be, I can't have an orgasm with my partner, or I can't find internal pleasure, or I'm limited in the way that I experience orgasm. And then for men and people with penises, it's often more focused around lasting longer, performances, skill learning, a little bit more you know, of that side of things. So we decided to create coursework that basically would help and say, look, if you uh, cannot have an internal orgasm or you can't orgasm from penetration, then what is the path to resensitize the walls of your vagina to get more awareness about where your pleasure points are. There's lots of pleasure points inside uh, the female genitals that are not known by many women. And so it's like the wall of the vagina is not like, it's not a hole that is just a tube that's being fricked, you know, friction 
uh, interacted in a friction way, it's full of entry points for nerve endings that are localized uh, in 360 degree inside, some are up, some on the side, some is behind the bladder. And it's by tapping into those points and starting to slowly stimulate them, maybe with like a, a glass or a, a crystal wand, not for their magical qualities, but simply because it allows you to create a contact that's better than a vibrator. You have more awareness. Using our fingers, you know, when we talk about resensitizing and waking up the sensation in the genitals, um, I often recommend to use fingers because of the neurotransmitters that are there, which means we learn fast and the feedback is also very quick. So in the way of building pathways, pleasure pathways, it is always better to use fingers. But of course, some of those points are not so accessible. So me, I use an amazing glass wand that allows me to go into places that I wouldn't be able to, you know, oh, I would get tired or I have to be in a particular position and at the end, I don't do it. So it's also finding some tools and showing people that there are modalities, there are practices, mm. there are tools, and then there is a timeline. You know, these things can take time. Some things mm -hmm. don't take time. If you change the way you breathe during sex, you're going to get results like this. Mm. You're going to change everything in one one time you, you wow. change the way you breathe, it changes. But if you have pain or numbness in your genitals and you cannot experience internal pleasure, there could be lots of reasons in the way of that. It could be emotional, psychological, physical. It could be a combination usually of all of those things. And so we need to start the dearmoring process. We need to start removing. And that's a localized, as I said before, it's a localized work. So these programs will allow people to actually be told every day what to do little by little, so that they get results over a period of maybe, you know, six to eight weeks. I love that it's going to that level. I, I know when we started working and doing some of those, you, you know, meditations, the heart genital meditation and those other things, um, the idea of helping people move out of the shame and the, uh, the story around it. And so to, to round out as, as we sort of like round out the conversation um, to finish where we started, which was, I told you stuff came up for me, right? Mm -hmm. So the stuff that came up for me, I realized that I had this story that sexual intimacy is extremely private. It's very private, mm -hmm. so private that just talking about it publicly somehow is revealing a look into my world that didn't feel safe for me right so it wasn't about i'm i i'm repressed in the bedroom it wasn't that it was like i'm not comfortable talking to the world about sex as though you don't have it, I don't have it, we don't discuss it. It's just between me and my partner. And and I'm, you know, I'm still in this, I'm still in a space of, yeah, it's just between me and my partner. But I found it fascinating that I had to do my own meditation first mm. before I could guide a meditation for the platform <laughs> to make sure that I wasn't accidentally slipping in a vibration or a tone of my own story into a meditation that was supposed to help someone be okay with this because part of being okay with it is to know that as mammals as humans 
we all have sex. We all have sexual desire. We all have sexual needs. And most of us are not even aware of how to address those. So I had to do my own prep meditations before I would guide meditation because I could feel I'd sit down in front of the microphone and I'd go to guide a meditation and I could feel adrenaline. And mm -hmm. I went, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I have a story. I need to move that story before I put my voice in someone's ears to help them move their story. Mm -hmm. And it was fascinating to me. And I was like, wow, I don't know if Chloe knows that she's actually doing the work on me as I'm doing the work for her and them. Like it, it hadn't occurred to me that that was going to happen. So I got to move those stories around. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a mammal too. I'm a human too. That's amazing. And you know, I think you're tapping into something that's really fundamental into the work that we do, which is that embodiment is a transmission. Yes. So you need to be, as you say, really clear with yourself because it's the responsibility of the practitioner is the transmission. It's not even so much their knowledge, of course it is, and all these things, but ultimately the true accountability will be in the quality of the transmission. And so what I discovered in building this project is that, which I was very surprised with, is that transmission is very effective digitally. I never yes. thought extremely effective. There's actually, in some ways, it's a different experience, but I wouldn't say one is necessarily better than another. Obviously, it depends on what it is. So that transmission is fully possible, which is why I really appreciate what you said, because, it, it, you know, it, it I mean, I always knew this about you, you know, I always had a very clear sense of your integrity uh, in, in what you do and the service that you bring. But of course, it's interesting how a project can become your own little journey. It was my incubator. It was mm -hmm. my incubator. And, you know, I'm very, I'm very clear that if I'm going to do this work long term, like helping people with their trauma and their stories, I cannot give them any of mine and I can't take on any of theirs. And that requires the work to be done in prep. You have to prep the container. And, um, and there is something very, very intimate about voice in an ear, mm. right? And, you know, even, and I first learned this when I first started doing my recorded, uh, when I did my books on Audible, um, I would have people I didn't even know, e either they'd meet me at a conference or they'd email me and say, you put me to bed every night and I would, a part of me was like, oh, whoa, like I didn't realize when I was doing those that I was going to be inside people's bodies, right? And inside their bodies when they're in private spaces, right? Because they're listening to me in headphones in bed or, you know, in the privacy of their locked car on their lunch break. But it, it's a very private moment. And, and so when you say it can be transmitted, the digital world, absolutely. It's, it's ASMR, mm. you know, totally. Totally. We're, we're dealing with, um, the 3d world is not a barrier to our connection, which means there's possibly even more opportunity for transmission. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, um, I, I so appreciate all that you've put into the work that you do the integrity and you know i don't i don't just work with anybody who asks like i i have to be comfortable with the people and um i'm your team is amazing like everyone on your team was so 
in the spirit of wanting to help people live their most uh, expansive lives without doing harm. And that was really important to me. Um, Chloe, I, I wrote down a whole bunch of things that I want to just summarize, but um, how do people get more of Kama? What can they do? So I think there's a few things happening at the moment. You know, I think part of wanting to build a business uh, at my age now, you know, 47, is also because I want to change what business means to me, to the people that I work with, and also generally for the industry. I, I kind of wonder what it could be like if the way we run business is not the way we've been doing it so far. We don't have an org chart with a person at the top that usually is the most passionate and mission-driven person in and ends up not really doing anything. And me, I, I enjoy life when I'm doing things. So things like this, how we collaborate with people, you know, and really uh, my approach is to always do 50-50. Like I really believe that it doesn't matter um, how your arrangement is as long as everyone feels that they're contributing on the same level. And I think that going forward, um, I really want to move away from a classic tech startup model that is VC funded. I also want to uh, develop the lifestyle brand around Kama that will offer workshops in real life and uh, retreats. We have so much demand for learning. People want to go on a transformative journey where they commit. And, you know, it's interesting because that's sometimes the kind of lazy angle. I'm going to pay a bunch of money. I'm going to dedicate a week and then I will be all, you know, fixed and sorted and I'll know so much more. And, and yes, that could be an amazing initiation. It could be an amazing awakening. It could be a wild bunch of like life-changing realization for sure. But it's not the practice. But the practice is all the practice. Yes. You know, life is just practice. And it's such a beautiful thing when you really truly know this inside yourself, because it means for anything that's coming to you, you can create a practice. And I think my biggest satisfaction and where I want to take people to is that they can create their own practice. I can create my own practice now. Mm -hmm. You know, when I have anxiety, I, 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 I connect there. I create a mantra. I start cycling my breath. I, I, I know enough to create these little mini practices that I very quickly, before the problem is too big, I start putting into practice. And then, you know, it's the same with eating. It's the same with breathing. I was told I don't excel properly. So I've, you know, I don't, I, I control my Excel. So I've been just doing a bunch of practice about excelling, you know? So if I hear something, I start designing a practice. So I think the, the future of, embodiment and us really transforming how we live in, 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 you know, on earth and in society is for people to take responsibility and realize that they are the solution <laughs> to mm -hmm. all of their problems. I'm the solution to all of my problems. And that is through practice. That's the best way I found so far anyway, apart from some magical healing experience, which of course could give me a huge amount of growth. Uh, but generally for me, the beauty of life really kind of took its full colors when I realized that I can just put a practice in place. Absolutely. Absolutely. Amen. Amen to that. Um, so here are some of the things that I'm, I'm taking away and I hope 
for you listening, you're going to take some of these away too. Um, one, the body keeps the score, right? We know from Bessel van der Kolk that every story lives in the body and, um, and comma is helping people understand that, uh, that there is um, uh, a humanity necessary in order to lead effectively, that um, senses make sense of reality, uh, that time is a door opener for sensuality, uh, that we can remove the armor, and as we remove the armor, what we might find is that where we have contraction, we might have pain or boredom, and we can reprogram that. Um, and a statement you said, which I love, you said, it's the doing that works, not the working that does. That was beautiful. Um, and that receiving is this power aspect of pleasure, that we're, that really it's the receiving aspect. And um, and that mindfulness is the way into the body. Chloe, I get so fired up when we talk. I love your projects. And um, I'm, I'm just so excited for all the work you're doing and helping thousands and thousands of people reclaim their power and their uh, sense of well-being in their body as mammals who have sexual drives and needs. So thank you so much for your time, Chloe. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you so much. And uh, it feels very, very special for me to have a connection with you who I've never met in person. But you know, when you do a project like this and you find people who completely get it, who are already on mission, it is really a, a super magical, um, you know, very positive and encouraging part of what I'm doing is to have to see other people they in it as well. They want it to, they get it because sometimes these projects are very painful and very stressful. And you kind of think, okay, I'm supposed to be living my beautiful life and, and being able to not stress myself out. And yet, you know, I choose businesses that exposes me. So the support is really valuable. And I just want to thank you for it. Oh, you're so welcome. It was so great to talk to you today. Thank you, Lisa. Okay. Thanks for listening to Unlock Hope. If you'd like to follow us on social media, we're at Neurosculpting Institute on Facebook, at Neurosculpting on Instagram. You can always reach out to us on our website, neurosculpting.com, and you can download our app, Neuropraxis. Stay well, everybody.